What we want to talk about is uh, church as usual is coming to an end. And uh, the subtitle of that would be simply prophetic churches must emerge to fill the void. Because if we don't, we're going to have a serious mess in the Christian network of churches and in the kingdom. So around the world, at least in the parts I work in and the parts I relate to in Africa and in South Asia, um, with other guys I know who are working there, the church as we know it is in trouble everywhere. In some places, it's seriously dying, uh, growing smaller every year. A normal church, statistically, will decrease by 20% every year. Just by people moving, people dying, and people getting ticked off and leaving and going to a different church or going to no church. So that means for a church to maintain its size, it has to gain 20% of its population every year. Plus, if it wants to grow, it has to get more than that. So if you have 100 people, you lose 20, you have 80. So the next year you lose 20%, you only lose 16. So the decrease, you grow smaller, slower, but you're still growing smaller. And that's happening in almost every nation around the world because young people are not coming to church. In some places, the church has fallen into heresy. Uh, we're dealing with uh, one of the largest churches in Almaty, which is run by a Korean businessman who has financed the whole thing, and he is the biggest heretic we've ever met. He's just had a prophetic warning given to him by a lawyer that I'm mentoring, um, and I proofed it so that the guy knew he was really hearing God before he handed it to this very powerful leader. And I've worked in this man's church back before he became a heretic. Um, in some places, we have what are called man-made moves of God. And sometime we'll show you um, the Chinese fellow. Uh, Francis Chan. Francis Chan's teaching on the man-made moves of God. Uh, the churches are growing in those cases by programming and by hype and charismatic leaders who tickle the ears. So if you get big churches today in North America, that's usually what you have. But fourthly, in some places, the churches are actually growing quickly and attracting young people. The problem is those young people soon recognize that the structures and the system and the traditions in many ways are hampering and hindering the flow of the spirit and so those young people don't stay. They look elsewhere. And many times looking elsewhere means they actually plant churches not knowing their backside from their elbow, but they're doing it. So everywhere I go, I see issues with churches. There isn't one I don't see issues with. Everywhere I go, I hear people desperately crying out for the end of the church as we know it. People are actually praying that the church as we know it will die. Leaders who are sensitive to the moving of God's spirit and the season in the kingdom understand that the spirit of God is literally creating a disturbance in the kingdom, a dissatisfaction, a yearning for brand new wine. I call it a divine discontent. So if you read enough of the guys I hang around with, they, you would hear the word disturbance, dissatisfaction, a new yearning, or my words are divine discontent inside. And it's a good thing. So we're in a season, the massive change and adjustment, and the church needs to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. One of the problems there is most churches aren't listening to the Holy Spirit. And God's people are being called to refocus and put the kingdom first in their lives. Because if we're honest, the kingdom isn't first in our lives or in our churches. 
Um, not everybody is going to respond to the moving of the Spirit. Not every church will recognize the prompting of the Spirit, that divine discontent. And many false teachers and prophets and apostles will arise and deceive many people. That's what Matthew 24, 24 says. In the last days, false prophets, false apostles, and false Christ will deceive even the very elect of God. So many Christians are going to go down the slide into heresy, into non-belief, into wrong beliefs. So apostles and prophets that I hang around with believe that there will be a spirit-driven remnant who will recognize the nudging of the spirit and will walk away from organized religion and begin something that has life. And that God is uniquely awakening a remnant to have a role in the move of the spirit. And maybe we're at the end times. I wouldn't be one to prophesy that, but some of my cohorts are saying that. This remnant's gonna function in a raging furnace of intercession. There's gonna be so much intercession going on and it's gonna be so much fire in our bellies about intercession, about prayer. And also there's gonna be an extreme Holy Spirit activity in the church that's gonna push the church out into the world. So I have people writing me from all around the world, I love the internet, pleading for assistance in finding that type of a church where they live. The problem is there are a few of them and these people are aggressively searching for vibrant churches that are marked by supernatural revelation. Please note, prophetic churches need to emerge. We need churches that receive revelation because God is building his church on revelation. Matthew 16, verse 18. And most of the people writing me are disappointed and disturbed by what they see in the church today. They haven't given up on the church they go to, but they would like to. And they're looking for a church that Jesus is building. And they're very hard to find. The churches that exist are going to have to rise out of the graveyard of religion, tradition, and denominationalism. And I'm not sure they'll succeed in doing that. So church as usual is coming to an end because God wants it to. And apostolic prophetic churches need to emerge to fill the void. Those churches are not going to be called apostolic and prophetic. They're going to be called revelation-driven churches. So we've had seeker-sensitive churches. We've had purpose-driven churches. We've had all sorts of moves of man. Now we're going to have a move of God. And for lack of a better term right now, people like me are calling it revelation-driven churches. So the marks of a revelation-driven church. Number one, it will be distinctly, distinctively prophetic. Leaders in these churches are going to have an insane amount of prayer during the week and they will be supernaturally alert day and night and so they will be receiving prophetic revelation uh, dreams if you're old visions uh, just straight words from god every decision of this kind of a church every service every message will be branded by an active rhema revelation from the spirit of god uh, rhema just simply means it'll be a now word that will fit where you're at for what you're doing in your life right now. And it's going to be um, 
not something that's dragged out of books or off the internet or its dreams and visions amongst the leaders and the members are going to bring revelation to the church and then the church will move forward on that revelation. So the culture of the church and the culture of our fellowship will be changing because we're going to be waiting on the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. Okay, number two, it's going to be fueled by prayer or intercession, but I'm not sure I want to limit it to intercession because prayer includes praise, thanksgiving. So if you want to develop and sustain a revelation-driven church, the first thing we have to build and sustain is a prayer focus. I taught you, I don't know how many months ago, on prophetic prayer. I think it was in March. Everywhere I go, somehow that teaching got online. So everywhere I go, that's the one they want me to teach. Why? Because they're beginning to catch on to the move of the Spirit that we are going to need prophetic prayer. That's number two. And so a large, large portion of the teachings we're going to begin to hear in the next year or so are going to be devoted to supernatural prophetic prayer. Um, normally, when you teach this, people tend to blank out. Um, a lot of people don't like to be challenged to increase their prayer time or increase their prayer life or change their prayer life or change prayer as it's practiced today. Um, and so when you teach on prayer, there's always a negative reaction amongst some of the people. And I think that's good because um, it's going to start to weed people out. So we need to understand how to pray prophetically, why we need to pray, how to yield to the Holy Spirit in prayer and in life, probably, how the baptism in the Holy Spirit should change our prayer life, the power of praying in tongues, how to receive and manage prophetic revelation, which we will receive as we're praying, uh, how to pray the scriptures, how to develop greater intimacy with Jesus, how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Um, there's this whole thing that we need to embrace and engage in that some of the churches overseas have always had. When you go to Moldova, which is the poorest nation in the former Soviet Union, an average church could have 300 people on Sunday, but on Tuesday night prayer meeting, they will have 500 people. More people come to the prayer meeting than come to church because they have this raging, expressive, authoritative night of prayer where they wrestle with every demon in hell and every spirit of this age, and they win, and therefore their churches are growing. Um, so... This second point, fueled by prayer, means that we're going to understand warring against the spirit of the age, walking in prophetic authority, which we have. We don't walk in it, but we have it. And we need to understand that the culture of prayer will be the foundation of every aspect of the life of the church. We don't do enough praying, folks either individually or as a church, which isn't hard to say because as a church we don't do much praying at all except off the prayer list. Those who aren't interested in such a relationship with Jesus and such a change in their prayer life will leave, and there will be this remnant that arises. Okay, third thing that's going to happen in a prophetic-driven church is that the, we will be unpredictable and spontaneous. 
I hate this one because I'm not spontaneous. I can be spontaneous as long as it's next Tuesday at 2 o'clock. The days of predictable, scheduled, ordered church services is coming to an end. Thank you, Jesus. We have become enamored with human order in the church. So much so that the Holy Spirit and biblical order is rejected or neglected. So even as we watch these videos to worship with, um, a lot of it, I'm not there when they're recording it, but a lot of it is just big business. A lot of it is just performance. It doesn't mean you can't be the person in the midst of the performance that's really worshiping, so I'm not being critical, but watch what they're doing. It's got lights and smoke and flashes, and you know there's seven people walking around with video cameras on their shoulders that they paid $5,000 a piece for, um, so that they can, and then they edit it all together. Revelation-driven churches um, will have some of the elements we now see in the church services, in our assemblies, but we'll be much more unpredictable and spontaneous. Most of the worship will be praying and singing in the Spirit. Uh, the Christian karaoke will come to an end. Um, worship will, be, will bring revelation. Revelation will take us into prayer. So we won't just worship. Worship will bring revelation to us. Revelation will take us into praying what was revealed so that then we're doing what God called us to do. Um, the teachings will become prophetic. And although in our case here in this church, most of the times our teachings are seriously rhema words and prophetic for the people. Um, and we're going to do what the Holy Spirit is doing in the specific moment we're living in, and that will change lives because it will release life. Because God said, my word is spirit, and it is life. John 6, 66. Um, so the Holy Spirit will move in these kinds of churches, and it will be unpredictable because of that. So we'll have prayer, worship, prophetic direction, declaration, instruction, healing, deliverance, whatever God calls us to do. Here's the problem. If the leaders and the people aren't fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit during the week, if we're not keeping in step with the Spirit, um, then on the times we come together as God's people, the tendency will begin will be to take control and we will go back into the default setting, which is to walk in the flesh and quench the move of the Spirit. So we're, all of us are going to be careful we don't do that. Quenching the Spirit is Second Thessalonians 5.19, by the way. Um, and when all of this begins, it's not about you or me. It's not about, oh, I got a word. It's not about, oh, I got a revelation. It's all about him, not about us. And so there will be that concern because even though we may be spontaneous and unpredictable, it can still be about us if what we're receiving you use to draw attention to your wonderful gift and abilities. It's, it can't be that, because otherwise that immediately takes us back into the flesh and we're out of step with the Spirit. Number four, uh, we are regionally and nationally focused. Um, if I were to change this, now this is a group of apostles that are writing all this stuff together for us, and I'm involved in it. I would change this to international, not just national. 
That's partly because I work internationally. But So there's a deep grieving in the spirit realm when churches become focused on and driven by their own growth. Numerical growth, when done right, can be healthy because in Acts 2.47, it says God added daily to the numbers in the early church. God wants the church to grow. God added numbers constantly in the early church. However, when that becomes the focus, then we compromise in order to see growth. And that grieves the Holy Spirit. Instead of focusing on the growth of the local church, which is what I've been doing for years, and I've repented of it, and probably need to repent more, um, if you're going to embrace a revelation-driven church or an apostolic prophetic church, um, we will be more interested in what God is doing regionally, nationally, or internationally than specifically focused on what God is doing in here. So if we can be kingdom-focused instead of us-focused or kingdom-focused instead of me-focused, because it's not about us, it's about him, we'll be focused on saving the lost and expanding the kingdom. We'll be focused on what the Holy Spirit is doing so we can all get involved in what he's doing. And we will be focused on the new wineskin that Jesus is building because he's pouring out new wine. So that means we need to begin to deal with regional, national, and international focuses. So last week, because of how few there were of us here, and because of the way the conversation went, the teaching never happened. But the teaching was on how should the church approach people who belong to the LGBTQ T, because um, there's a T at the end now. There is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or two. Yeah. Um, how does the church respond to those kinds of people, and how do we deal with and minister to them biblically at the same time as we love them and accept them? And you didn't hear the teaching because I didn't teach it, but it is up online. You can read it if you wish. You probably should. We need to start to grapple with regional, national, and international issues. Georgia has got a lot of young people up in arms against the government, and they're either going to be killed, or they'll go to jail, or they'll overthrow the government, whatever happens. Kazakhstan, some of my people are in jail. Um, and so we need to start keeping track of all of what these things that are happening and start praying. My house is a house of prayer for the nations, the people groups. So we have environmental issues, global warming. We need to be praying about things. The whole area of DNA manipulation, because we're beginning to do the select what you want thing that Hitler was trying to develop. And that's frightening. We have this lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, they say that word should be now, and then two-spirited is the other one which means you can be both male and female in one body, and it's a First Nations teaching out of the Ojibwe people, but it's spreading around the world. It's not just here. If you go to Kazakhstan, it's there. They don't know what an Ojibwe person is, but it's there. So we, we as a church, we need to be not focusing specifically on that, but training each other, working to equip us to minister in this rapidly changing world so that we don't become the dinosaur that can't exist anymore. Uh, Because these things are confronting the Christian faith, and we literally have answers. 
to all of these things. And what this is, is a battle against the spirit of the age. And the spirit of the age is destroying the nations. That sounded awful heavy. Number five. A prophetic, revel, a prophetic driven church will everybody participating. Church as usual will be a thing of the past. What do I mean by that? Because most churches, there's a team up front leading worship and picking a song list that's going to be gone. Uh, where the paid professional does the preaching, that's going to be gone. That's a really threatening comment in every church I go to. Any church that I talk about pastors no longer being paid, I don't get invited back. <laughs> where only the elders can pray for people and minister, that's going to be gone. Where women are not allowed to lead or to teach, that's going to be gone. Let me share a story. In October, if we get the visas, Pastor Olga from Kazakhstan and Pastor uh, Mark, who is another pastor we work with there, will be coming to Toronto to a dead Presbyterian, Korean Presbyterian church to run a four-day program that is a created program that you just buy into. And, you, and if they get their visas, then I will be joining them to do a whole day um, on the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason Pastor Mark is coming is because Pastor Olga's a woman and she's not allowed to teach. Because she's a woman. She has seven churches in Almaty alone. She works in three nations. This is in Toronto we're talking about. Because of the type of church she's going into? Because she's a woman and she's going into a Korean Presbyterian church. So anyways, we're hoping when she's here that bring her out here. So, so... In this type of church, where everybody's participating, we're no longer going to be asking for volunteers to fill positions, which is how we've been doing it for 100 years. Leaders will not be trying to find jobs for everybody, hoping to keep them busy and engaged so they stay in the church. Everybody will be get, find a job because the Holy Spirit will tell them what they should be doing. Everybody won't be a leader because not everybody's ready to be a leader. I think everybody should become a leader, but everybody's not ready to be a leader. But... In normal churches, people would be muzzled and told to sit down, shut up, and listen. And that's ending. And years ago, in the 1990s, Bill Hammond, who's now dead, he was an apostle, uh, wrote a number of books. He wrote a book called The Movement of the Saints. And I believe that it's finally coming to pass. I can't find the book. It's somewhere in here, I'm sure. It's not upstairs. Um, but it's finally coming to pass. God's going to move the saints. Okay, so number six, prophetic assignments. When we lead a prophetic culture in a church, God's going to be talking a lot, and that talk will be prophetic leading, and we need to respond to it. And the response will be that God will be giving us things to do, assignments. And these assignments will emerge, and then we'll be releasing people into ministry. Uh, either locally or internationally or you go plant another church or whatever it is God's going to release us to do. So new ministries will be birthed out of these kinds of churches and the saints will move out in the power of the Spirit. Um, and every season, 
the assignments will change. Listen, it's never boring in the kingdom. So if you think, you know, God told me I should do this, and 10 years from now you'll still be doing it, you're wrong. Um, in my life, everything has changed in the last six months. Everything. The way I do things, what I'm doing, where I do it, how I do it, it's never boring. So if we get to the point where you're established and things are comfortable and you've got a routine and it's working, and watch out. Because that's about when God's going to change something. So everybody's going to have a prophetic assignment. Number seven, which, by the way, will be confirmed by other people so that you just don't create your own ministry for the sake of having one because you think you're great. Number seven, um, believers' meetings. Um, church services will no longer be seeker-sensitive, not that we've ever been that. Um, we're not drawing the lost into the church. In the past... The way the church has worked is we gather people who are not saved and then either the pastor or the worship leader or somebody leads them to the Lord. Now the system, and that should have never happened because the system should be don't gather the unsaved because they don't want to come anyways. We scatter into the community and we meet the unsaved and talk with them and bring them into the kingdom and then you bring them into the church. Because why would they want to come to a church where they're going to worship a God they do not know and do not love and they're going to listen to a teaching from a book they don't believe? It's just illogical. And so the, the, the days of focusing on drawing the lost as a primary goal is coming to an end. And we're going to have the equipping of the saints and boot and butts out. The New Testament church was never meant to be an established thing. It was a movement of believers who were praying continually and ministering with great authority in the region they existed in. And when they do that, then the lost will get saved and they will come. So the focus of the meeting isn't for the unsaved, it's for the believer. And it's really not for the believer, it's for us to hear the Holy Spirit together so that we can respond and glorify God. So we need to be praying for the extreme, and I use that word on purpose, the extreme activity of the Holy Spirit. Because he's not gentle at all times. Sometimes he is. He's always moving. He's like the wind. It can be strong. It can be gentle. It can be weak. It can be refreshing. It can be like a hurricane. But to do this, we, you have to decide to say yes to Jesus. And we need to get rid of the dry and the dusty environment that exists in most churches, including this one. Um, so believers' meetings will become white-hot, supernatural, otherworldly, on fire, equipping and releasing ministers in the power of the Spirit. Doesn't sound like what we are yet. But that's where I'm aiming. Number eight, we're going to focus, uh, prophetic-driven churches will be focused on spiritual growth. Not numerical growth, spiritual growth. The goal of the individual and the church should be obedience to everything the Holy Spirit says. And that means you will grow. And you will respond to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we will have an impact, individually and as a group. Growth will happen, should happen, but it 
Growth is not an automatic indicator that your church is healthy or that it's successful. In most churches that respond to the new spiritual reality I'm talking about, before it grows, it will shrink. Because there are going to be some people who are not going to like this kind of church. Um, those who just want to sit and receive and don't want to be uncomfortable at times or stretched spiritually or going through a season of change and adjustment, they're not going to stay. They're going to leave. And we're going to make sure that if that happens in any church I work in, that we do it graciously and we bless them. This is going to be this new wine. And this revelation-driven church will be smaller than most people expect because not a lot of people are going to want this kind of stuff. The goal for the church is to go deep, grow spiritually, and impact the community. That's different than what we've had, different than most churches. That means there's no compromise. There will be no programs to bring people in. Programs don't work. And if they do, then you become a three-wing circus, having three programs to keep the people that came in by the programs. Things will become uncomfortable if you're not serious about Jesus, and believers will not be able to just sit and absorb. They need to become involved. So there's no compromise. And if that happens, we will become a powerful place where people are challenged and become ministers of reconciliation. Number nine, and last one. Uh, Prophetic-driven churches will be deep, challenging teachings. Everything you will hear will not be fluff. The teaching will be by revelation, prophetic revelation. Um, the tired Sunday school lessons of old will finally come to an end. Thank God. Um, the teach, whoever teaches you will have already been pierced and changed by the message they bring you. And if they aren't, we will remove them from the teaching rotation, if there's a teaching rotation. Um, if, the, if the teaching hasn't changed your life, you won't be allowed to teach it. So unless it's pierced your heart, it won't pierce anybody else's heart. In other words, no more information for the sake of information. Because when we give you information, very few people apply it, and nobody's life changes. And so the messages should rock everyone who hears them. And if we don't have a message prophetically given by revelation, if we don't have a message that has pierced our heart, there will be no message that Sunday unless God moves in the assembly and gives you the message. That kind of church is going to cost something and we're going to need to respond and we're going to need to minister uh, mightily. She's going to stop that. Um, I want a church. God wants a church. What I want is not relevant. Um, if I had my way, church would be even different than this. <laughs> God wants a church that's full of fire. Um, there needs to be a fire in our belly. There needs to be a fire in our words. We need to be on fire, we need to be passionate, we need to be enthusiastic, we need to be antagonistic, 
we need to be looked at as weird by other Christians in normal churches. Um, we need to not be afraid to be different. So in the middle of July, you'll hear part two. So that's part one. Awesome. It didn't even have a proper ending. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs>